A million great ideas die instantly every day because they lack a plan or funding or you name it. We need more conversations about the soul inside the idea. The wind blows warm at a quarter to five. The sky's still dark, but my mind's alive. You lay beside me dreaming of the sea. At least that's what it looks like to me. I'm Mark Ackler. At this stage in my life and career, the guiding principles I use are joyful innovation, building community, and teaching and practicing empathy. Welcome to The Real Work, presented by UBS, a show that gets to the heart and soul of building the pathways to making something, well, real. The voices you'll hear here are humble and honest, self-critical and strong. Like Ben Parr, a tech journalist, content machine, and co-founder of Octane AI. The nice thing about something like a chat GPT or something is it does honestly act like a sounding board. You could literally ask, what do you think of this? Or like, am I missing something? Ben is obsessed with the science of capturing people's attention. People are still not even close to like what you could actually do. Like, this is a second brain for you to bounce ideas off of and to improve ideas on the fly all the time. In this episode, a deeper peek into the brain artificial intelligence may never harness. I'm Mark Ackler. Let's get to the real work. This one's going to be fun because uh, I'm going in slightly without uh, a bunch of prep, which is kind of where you get the most raw version. So everyone get ready for uh, some raw takes from me directly, which is actually probably the best version. So Always the best. Hi, everyone. I'm Ben. My original claim to fame in Silicon Valley is that I was the co-editor and editor-at-large of Mashable, the tech news website. So I ran the West Coast of Mashable for four years, opened the West Coast office, had a team of 50, wrote 2,446 articles in my four years there. A fun fact, though, my, that was not my first job. That was my second job. My first job uh, was working for this company called Spine Health. Indeed. And I worked for this guy named Mark Ackler, uh, was just like a hardcore boss, just like, my God. <laughs> Crack the whip. Just horrible. No, uh, it was fantastic, but uh, it was interesting because I was living in Chicago at the time, and I remember one day opening up my door. The snow was all the way like up to my waist, and it's like, why am I here? And I decided I just was going to go to Silicon Valley, and this is after you left, and I was like, I'm going to Silicon Valley. I'm just going to go without any idea. And I was writing on the side for Mashable, and my articles were doing so well, they decided, hey, would you like to write for us full time? We won't pay you that much, but you'll be our one Silicon Valley reporter. And that turned out to be great for my career because I got to meet every VC, every founder, everyone under the sun. And I did that for four years. Then I left. I did everything from a small VC fund on behalf of celebrities. I wrote a best-selling book for HarperCollins called Captivology. Yeah, love that book. I wrote a book on the science and psychology of intention, interviewed everyone from Sheryl Sandberg, Steven Soderbergh, David Copperfield, to the world's top PhDs in attention and memory to really understand what is attention and how can you captivate others. Everything in modern society is based off of attention. That's everything in TikTok. Like, can you keep somebody's attention? And can you capture their attention? And what can you do with that attention? And so I wanted to understand the scientific basis for that and understand what is attention, how does that behave, and what are the universal triggers that capture it? So a lot of the books is about those universal triggers that capture attention. And I toured the country, did a bunch of speaking, joined a bunch of boards. 
Then, you know, I did the next natural thing, which is start an artificial intelligence company, which is Octane AI, the company that I currently run. We are the AI company for e-commerce. We power awesome AI and data collection tools for the e-commerce industry. Uh, our quiz product being our best known product, e-commerce brands use us to learn about their customers and recommend products using quizzes and surveys. And we've raised a bunch of money from General Catalyst and others and uh, survived for over six years. And I say survived because there's been lots of close situations over time. And that's just like a short version. There's a lot more. If people wanted to read your work, where, where, how do they find you? And how do they find your company? Well, first step, they would fly to Los Angeles to come and find me. Uh, and then I would suggest looking for my uh, big white Panama hat. It's my trademark hat. Uh, now, if you're looking for me virtually, uh, at Ben Parr on every social network, B-E-N-P-A-R-R. So TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, you name it. I'm probably there somewhere. Uh, the substack is benpar.substack.com, which is the social analyst, my uh, probably bi-weekly newsletter on uh, tech, AI, and society. I have some cool ones coming up. And then benpar.com for everything else. You want to shoot me a note, you want to find the book, everything else. So I'm easy to find on the internets. So first of all, you are the OG of AI. So AI is all the rage, all the, you like chat GBT right now. All of a sudden, everybody's interested in AI. But you did that six years ago like what what was the insight that you had six years ago before everybody else and what was it like waiting for the world to catch up to you the first version of octane ai was chatbots for celebrities and this is when chatbots were just first maybe becoming a thing and matt schlicht my co-founder ceo and best friend of a decade had been playing around with the chatbots that were being built in China, actually. And like, you go and look at something like WhatsApp, every kind of communication and purchase and everything else was being done through it. It seemed inevitable to eventually come to the US. And so Matt and I started playing around with like different concepts and, you know, cool tools were starting to come out for you to build chat experiences. But that said, I think one thing that we learned was the technology wasn't ready back then for like real conversations. We built some NLP technology to try to like have the back and forth. But the truth is, it didn't sound all that human. It couldn't fully understand context. And that made for not a great chatbot experience. It got traction in some cases, like you could get messages from your favorite celebrities that worked out really well. Or like you could get like uh, announcements from your favorite e-commerce brands of discounts and things like that, that worked out really well. But that wasn't like the, you know, the true potential of AI. And so it took us, you know, we had to like, uh, be alive for the current moment, but now all of the technology and the infrastructure is really easy to add and build to make chatbots. So we were doing chatbots long before chatbots, and we're using some of that technology for a bunch of things we're doing now. And I'll lastly say, there's one phrase, there's one thing my co-founder always tells me, which is like, you just have to like survive until the moment happens. And that's just like, <laughs> Uh, both him and I have had times where you, you give up a little bit early and then the moment happens and you're like, ah, if I had just been there, I'd have been alive. So sometimes you just have to be alive for it. Yeah, timing. You know, you have to work your butt off. You got to put yourself in a position to get lucky. But timing matters. It just does. And timing is really hard to predict because it seemed like it could have been 2016, but really it's 2022 when the time, but the flip side too is if you're too 
if you're jumping on a bandwagon as soon as something is popping up, investors will see that. And so I have different companies I'm advising, for example. I've like, well, I had a call today with one AI company I'm advising. They've been at it for two years. And investors like them because, oh, you were doing this before it became hot. So you clearly believe and you clearly have been building for a while versus like, we started the company three months ago. It's getting, you know, we would love to like it ever. We're using OpenAI's APIs. You know, there is a real difference between that, but you just have to live. I also want to parse out something else. The last couple of months, you've blown up a little bit in terms of attention. But dude, you are the king of attention. You wrote the book on attention. And you sounded almost a little bit surprised. What what happened in the last month or so? What did you do where all of a sudden you've gotten so much more attention than you had been in, in the, the past couple years? There's a couple factors. I will say one, especially, and you know this better than almost anybody. When you first start a company and you're in the middle of it, especially when you have a bunch of team, you don't get much time to do anything else except like manage and deal with like fires and all sorts of things like that. Like my ability to just consistently create content was just thrown out the window. And I kind of realized like, oh, all these meetings eating up my time can't get any of like the content creation done. And I built my career on content creation. I went away a little bit from a thing I was very good at. And so what did I do in the last month? I created content. It started with TikTok. My co-founder, Matt, actually went viral on TikTok a couple years ago. He went from zero to 850,000 followers on TikTok. So I was inspired a little bit by that. But he he got viral for drawing stuff, which is not what he wants to like, you know, Be do the rest for. of his life. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, so I did ones about tech and AI. And then I wrote, I made this one about how AI was going to radically change education at the beginning of the chat GPT craze. And that one went viral, went 1.5 million views, I think now, maybe more at this point. And it kind of just like compounded and I started learning how to make TikToks and create content. You go where the Gen Zs are and so far so good. It's, uh, I'm learning a lot about how to create content for the new medium, but I'm decent at it, I think, but a lot more work to do. But then it snowballed, you know, into other content. How important is the medium? So you mentioned TikTok. So where were you posting before and where's your focus now? I wasn't really posting that much before. There's the, like the reality, like I think one immediate lesson is you want to go viral, you just have to post content. Uh, it started with that. I turned it into a newsletter. I had had an old newsletter and I kind of revived it. I sent you know an email like based off of that TikTok. So I, it's a little bit of repurposing content, but it helped me figure out, oh, this is a topic people care about. And that went viral too. And I got thousands of subscribers from my Substack. Suddenly, I have like I have invites to like dinners with professors uh, in the AI space. I got outreaches for events, podcasts. I have like all these things in my inbox. Investors reaching out. It's fascinating what a couple pieces of content can do for a business. And then I had one more. I, I had a conversation with a founder, and it inspired me to write a tweet storm about the three hundred billion in dry powder that everyone talks about for VCs is BS, and that went viral too. <laughs> I, I read that one. I, well, I read all your stuff, but but I, I read that particular, that post, very well written and true. If you had to extract some gems of wisdom, what one of the things I heard you say is consistency. You just got to get out there and do it, but on a 
sort of a regular basis. What else? Like, what, what are some of the secrets to building an audience? Uh, waterfall. And so you got to build across platforms. Don't depend on one platform. But you can use the waterfall to your advantage. So my process is I make TikToks first. I see what takes off. If something's taking off as a topic, then I turn that into content for my Substack as like an example. And then I can turn that into content in other places like Twitter and LinkedIn and things like that. And flip side's true. Like sometimes I might write a tweet storm on Twitter. And if that goes very viral, then I'll put it on my Substack or on my Twitter. It's a good way, TikTok especially, for tracking is something a topic that people are interested in. And like the TikTok algorithm will tell you if it's something people are interested in. And so you kind of like go into the waterfall. I will say the other one is I have had the problem of the, of the cold start problem of where do you even begin? And my new answer to that problem is AI. I literally have the first version and draft always written using some form of AI. I've been using a tool called Lex.Page and of course ChatGPT to help me like at the bones. And like, look, for example, uh, I'm writing a post with predictions for, uh, for TechCrunch and it gives me ideas. I won't probably use any of the predictions AI gives because they're generic, but I can have the bones and it can give me ideas of what I want to predict or what I want to start writing. So thought starters. Thought starters. And as an example, in Lex.Page, you can click plus, plus, plus. It'll keep writing uh, based off of what you just wrote. And so sometimes that actually is really good. And sometimes it, it just gives you ideas and then you rewrite that part. That is a super powerful thing. Wow. So it's changed the way you've actually iterate, like, like conceive. And, and how important is that iteration, the, the back and forth? Well... I, I thought about this too. Uh, when I was the editor at Mashable, I had a whole team of reporters whose only job was to give me feedback on my articles and vice versa. And that works really well in news and it's really important in news and in opinion pieces. I have people at Octane, but it's not you know the same kind of like system. But the nice thing about something like a chat GPT or something is it does honestly act like a sounding board. You could literally ask, what do you think of this? Or like, am I missing something? Wait, 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 wait. Have you done that? With, with Have you said, am I missing something or what do you think? Yes. Really? Frequently. There's always a chat GPT on my left-hand screen here where I go and do that. My co-founder has it open all the time for his coding. I do the same thing, but for writing and for like thought, like I need to bound something and my co-founder isn't there. Wait, wait so, so are you doing that in an email or like how are you doing that? No, in chat GPT. Just paste something. Paste something in, yeah. And okay. then you just like, like what do you think of this? Or like, am I missing something? Is there something else I should add? You know, and you can get more creative with the prompt of being like, I want this email to sound more formal. Like the limit and the capability, people are still not even close to like what you could actually do. Like this is a second brain for you to bounce ideas off of and to improve ideas on the fly all the time. Oh my God, that is so cool. So it's interesting, I've been playing around with it, but I haven't incorporated it into daily practice. So, so. That is really, really interesting. It, it works, for me at least, but I think there's a lot of people who are finding ways to work uh, with it. And it can work across industries. I had one friend who just published like an ebook with, I think, 4,000 different prompts you can give for like 150 different industries right. to get the most out of ChatGPT. And again, it's not just, not just ChatGPT. Sure, of course. You have to remember. The current moment you're in right now is the absolute worst 
this AI will ever be in human history. And it's already blowing people's minds. Like, it will only get exponentially better over the course of the next, not even few years, next few months. Yeah, it's Moore's Law on steroids. Oh, just people are not even prepared. And, like, there's, like, a bunch of things I, like... Uh, it's like social implications I'm thinking about too. Like I had a TikTok as an example go viral where from a speech I gave in 2016 actually at the Atlantic where uh, I made the claim that I don't believe the vast majority of the human race will need to work for society to function because I think a lot of jobs will be taken by AI and automation and I feel getting more and more validated about it. I, I was making a TikTok today, which maybe is up a couple weeks after this or whatever, about how Apple is using AI for narration now for a lot of audiobooks. Imagine you're a publisher and you're like, do I want to spend $3,000 to pay a narrator for this book? Like, if top 1%, yeah, you're fine. You're going to have a narrator for that. You're going to have the celebrity narrate. You're going to maybe have your own author narrate for everything else not and it's not that all jobs are going to be replaced you'll just need less jobs like i expect and i talked a little bit about this in some of my content but a lot of the tech companies who've done a lot of layoffs in 2022 and in the beginning of 2023 they will not rehire at the same number or rate they're going to use ai to automate a bunch of stuff instead of 20 content writers like i'm not going to be shocked if they hire two people and all their only job is to manage the AIs that are writing content on their behalf. Is that a good thing? This is a different and moral question, but in the current system that uh, is about capitalism and efficiency, that's what I expect to happen, and our society isn't ready for that. My conversation with Ben Parr continues after a short break. I'm really proud to partner with UBS again, this time on the Real Work Podcast. It's a rich relationship that began with sharing the story of the book I co-wrote with Mirta Sherry called Exit Right. Exit Right teaches where deals get into trouble, how to create alignment between negotiating parties, and what terms of a deal you should care about most. As a leading global wealth manager, UBS knows how to work with entrepreneurs and business owners at all stages of their journey and legacy. In fact, their purpose statement is reimagining the power of investing, connecting people for a better world. Empathy matters. Let's face it, starting and growing a business is hard. It's why UBS reminds their clients to begin with the end in mind, as their legacies often become intertwined with their companies. To learn more and find an advisor near you, go to UBS.com slash business services. UBS.com slash business services. UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS Group AG, member FINRA SIPC. humanity so so part of the issue is human beings adapting but part of it too is where where is the humanity in ai like like 
I know we're all struggling with that piece of, of the puzzle, the warmth, the kindness, the judgment. Like, help, help us think through that. Oh, this is, uh, we're going to get to deeply philosophical here, which I appreciate. So I'll give you, like, a thinking example. My, uh, my partner has a back-and-forth chat sometimes with uh, her replica, which is like a uh, AI friend. And it's useful in the same way I use ChatGPT, like a sounding board for certain things, right? And so, like, in some cases, it actually can feel better to talk to somebody who you know isn't going to judge you because it's an AI. Now, flip side, though. Replicas, in the beginning, if you don't know any better, they will try to immediately sell you on sex. They will They will be like, <laughs> if they will sell you on nudes. Seriously, I have seen this, and I'm just like, right. is that humanity? I suppose, but a different kind. <laughs> different kind. That's funny. We used to always joke, whatever the, the hottest new trend that industry always gets it first. Just, just, just to finish on like the humanity side, uh, it is going to be a real implication that we will be talking about over the course of the next uh, like couple of decades. Because uh, there's the version of like right now where like you could make it say a lot of things, and most people won't be able to tell the difference. Uh, and like the audio narration, for example, that Apple is doing sounds very good, but you could tell. Like, it can't do the quite the wide range that maybe a human could go and do. And so there's going to be specific things in places where humans will be more greatly appreciated. Now, will that stay true forever? I'm not 100% certain. And then you have the other question, which is like, there's kind of two definitions for AI. One is AI is an industry, like NLP, machine learning, all those kinds of things. But then there's like the true AI, the true definition, which is sentience. We're nowhere near that. But someday we might be, in which case then we'll be having a question of what is human. And uh, we can have a conversation about that with the sentient AI at that time. Yeah. You know, I have a, I'm a big believer in trust. And so like any technology, like social media, it can be used for good or it could be used for evil. Right. You know, this technology has such incredible potential to help humankind. But... This issue of trust and the issue of how do we know the intent behind the words, the messaging? It, it, it's, it's a fascinating world. I have a couple questions that I ask everybody. One of them is, um, when you wake up in the morning, what makes you smile? Uh, when I wake up in the morning... It is uh, turning left and uh, seeing my partner, Deborah. Yeah. Uh, that makes me smile. It's like a little, like, cuddle. She's usually sleeping in a little bit later than I am. Uh, so that's always the first thing that makes me smile in the morning. Yay. Sweetness. My, my next question is, uh, if you could pick one word that gets to the core, the essence of who Ben Parr is, what what word would you use to describe you? <laughs> One word. Yeah. Uh, There's like a set of words that have gone through my head. I almost, I feel like I want to go and ask ChatGPT, can you put that into one word? Because there's like, let me let me actually talk it out because that's the only way I'm going to actually give you an answer. And by the way, I, I have a word for you. Oh boy. Uh, I'm very curious. No, it's a, it's a good one. It's it a good doesn't one. have to be a good one. Like there's, there's like a... Uh, very like public persona side of me, like charismatic, all that. 
And then there's always like the like, you know, am I achieving enough? Or like, am I doing things for the right reason? You know, am I being thoughtful enough? I don't know what the right soup of all of that turns into because it's interesting how like uh, I really do enjoy the public facing side, but I don't quite always act the same. You know, like when I'm like just chilling with a few friends and I'm just like, okay, I need to like rest because like I've been talking nonstop for three days at a conference. Anyway, I'm curious your word. Well, before I give you my word for you, I say one one of the benefits of age is perspective. And now, now I'm the old guy. When I was your age, I might have answered something very similar about outward facing versus inward. And one of the things that's happened over the course of time is those kind of merged for me, where it's one and the same. And, and, and that's sort of a, a getting to a place of being comfortable in your own skin. The one word I had for you is curious. Like, I think you have this insatiable curiosity about what's going on in the world. Like, I was looking forward to this conversation today because I'm always eager to hear what's going through your brain, what you're curious about. That's a good word. Uh, How do I turn curiosity into a billion dollars? Okay, (laughs) you know what? It doesn't have to be a billion dollars, by the way. That's, uh, That's too much money for any one human being. Uh, you can just go look at Elon Musk. <laughs> well, it's funny you should say that. One of the questions I asked my class this last quarter was, do you have to be an asshole to be a billionaire? Yeah, a self-made billionaire, right? Because so many of these tech giants, who the Elon Musks of the world, who are incredible uh, business people, thought leaders, but they might not be the nicest human beings, right? And so one of the things I, I, I've always admired about you is I've like, genuinely, you are a nice guy. Like, I'm curious what your thoughts are. Like, can you be a nice guy and a billionaire at the same time? I, I, I feel like my very first thought was like, I have now been disqualified from becoming a billionaire because I'm a nice guy. <laughs> you know what? I'm going to probably take the position that with only a few exceptions, because there's exceptions to everything. Of course. If your real goal is to actually be a billionaire, like the assholes tend to outperform. Right. And I just, I do know a lot of uh, billionaires, and some are very sweet and very nice, and uh, but a larger chunk, you know, like they had to be ruthless in some place, in some way, to get to that point. Again, this is the difference between like, can you be really successful, make 50 100 million dollars and live a very comfortable life sure you could do that in a lot of ways like a billion is a thousand x a million it takes a thousand x different of something to get to that point and one it honestly should be the goal i'm not going to tell you elon musk is happy because he's not especially right now like if your goal is happiness don't go for a billion dollars if your goal is happiness uh have like enough to live comfortably and have people you love. And that's much more my goal than uh, become a multi-billionaire. Again, though, it is doable, it is possible, but I just have seen a lot of cases uh, where more often than not, like there's this like additional tendency that helps you get over because 
you've got to take that money from somewhere and it's going to come from people who have a lot less money yeah wealth doesn't come out of nowhere amen brother the wind blows warm at a quarter to five the sky's still dark but my mind's alive you lay beside me dreaming of the sea at least that's what it looks like to me that's what it looks like to me that's what it looks like to That's our show. If you like what you heard, spread the word across your social channels. The Real Work, presented by UBS, is a noteworthy original podcast. The executive producer is Kristen Tews. Our show is produced by Todd Manley, and the theme music was created by my dear friend, the great Peter Himmelman. I'm Mark Ackler. Thanks for listening. <laughs>